Eric, it's called the happiest place on earth. Uh, Disney World, Disneyland. Da, 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 I don't know if you've, da, da, da. you've ever been. I've been I to have. Disney World. I've been to Disney World three times, and it's been spaced out in such a way that I went as a child, I went as a young adult, and then I went as a, a father of three. So I've, I got to experience it. And I've went twice, once as a teenager, and then uh, actually uh, Sarah and I went there for our honeymoon to Florida. So the happiest place on earth, however, does have some supposedly very dark secrets to it. Uh, and Disney in general, I mean, multinational, multi-billion or trillion dollar company, there's bound to be some some skeletons in those closets, sometimes quite literally. I actually saw a video this week of, uh, I believe it was Mickey Mouse and Pluto slugging it out. <laughs> Tonight we're going to talk about the dark side of Disney. Join us if you dare. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So we do want to start off by saying there's a good chance that you may not hear Eric and I on on the podcast waves again. <laughs> We're going to talk about Disney a little bit, and Disney. We're like David and Goliath. Yeah, I'm here. not going to. I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I read a deal about Disney suing people in the process of going through these notes. <laughs> I'm like, man, do I really want to do this today? So here we go. Yeah, again, like I said, I've been to Disney World multiple times. Had the opportunity, like I said, to enjoy it as a child, to enjoy it as a young adult, and then to enjoy it as a, a parent with, with kids. And and I always like going to Disney World. It's, it's fun. I enjoyed it. It's, yeah. you know, again, <laughs> honestly, one of our best vacations as a family with my kids and, and going to Disney World and, you know, very, very good memories. And there's a couple of not so, you know, my daughter can be a very stubborn young lady sometimes. And I remember being very, you know, well... Short-tempered, short when I probably shouldn't have been at the happiest place on earth. I always felt sorry for the poor people in the mascot outfits. Seriously, like 100 degrees in the shade. Oh, we're going to yeah, we're gonna talk about that, that a little bit. That, I was like, boy, I'm glad that's not me. But there's all sorts of conspiracies and talk of Disney and, and you know, the, the man Walt Disney and the things he may have been involved in. It was alleged anti-Semitism and, and all that. And then you have the the little things in different Disney movies, the the rescuers, where there's a naked woman in a poster in a background. I I don't know if the word Easter egg is properly (laughs) the term to use in those, but yeah. Yeah, the cover art of the the little Little mermaid mermaid. VHS with the the penises (laughs) in the background. Yeah. So, but I felt, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about just some of the things that have happened, some of the things that Disney's been involved in, some of. Some of their rules for their employees, which are and I'm gonna, fairly serious. I'm going to dive into some of the fairy tales that we all so love and cherish and go back to some of the roots, which are kind of creepy, doesn't even touch the word for. Well, if we're going to talk a little bit about movies, I mean, you know, you've got that conspiracy that, that Frozen was meant as a, you know, 
they they Disney released Frozen as a way of when you search Disney and Frozen, you wouldn't get the story of Disney's allegedly frozen, frozen head. head. Yes. No, you would you would get Frozen. Or, you know, the Lemmings, the the story of the Lemmings throwing themselves off the cliff. We we take that. A lot of people yeah. believe that to be true. Yeah. But apparently while shooting the nature documentary White Wilderness, uh, they used careful editing and uh the crew actually forcing the lemmings to jump off the cliff. <laughs> Poking make, them with sticks yeah, and chasing them. To make us believe that lemmings would actually throw themselves off a cliff. Now, hold on, are you saying there's something wrong with that? Or? Uh, I, I think if you're going to film a nature documentary, you should be poking the animals with sticks. <laughs> no. Uh, what, what is it? that you know the, the very fact that you observe a thing means that it's changed, but I don't, I don't think you should be manipulating. So. <laughs> But as you, uh, you know, speaking of the movies, you said you had sort of the background story on some of those. Yeah, let, let's dive into it. All puns intended. Uh, Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Now, obviously, that's a story that many people fell in love with. A classic tale. The beautiful, quirky little redhead Ariel character. But few really know how disturbing the original tale actually was. The beginning is pretty much as you may remember in the movies. The prince was drowning at sea, and the little mermaid swims along to his rescue and saves his life. However, the prince really doesn't have a clue who it was that actually saved his life. He just knew that he was drowning and someone saved his life. Well, the little mermaid, classically, of course, falls in love with the prince. And so she goes to the sea witch, or the sea hag, to bargain to get sea legs so that she may walk on land to pursue her true love. However, this favor comes at a price. For one, the Little Mermaid has to trade her voice in for her legs and then is given only one day on land to get the prince to fall in love with her. In addition to that, the Little Mermaid will experience pain unlike any other with each step that she takes with these new land legs and feet as if she was walking on glass. So there's that. That's fun. If she does not get the prince to fall in love with her within that one day she's given, well, she's cursed to die. Plain and simple. In a tragic turn of events, once the little mermaid finds her prince, she finds out that he is marrying another. This just, of course, breaks her heart. But the prince believes the one that he is marrying is the one that saved him at sea in an ironic twist of events. So she's heartbroken and she runs back towards the ocean, towards home. And there she pleads with the sea hag, the sea witch, to give her back her tail so that she may just leave this place and go back into the waters. Now, of course, often as is in the case, bargains with such come at a huge price. And the sea witch laughs and declines her request. Now, worried for their sister, the little mermaid actually has two other sisters. They cut their beautiful locks of hair and use those to bargain with the sea witch to which she makes an agreement and a new chord is struck. In doing so, she conjures up a magical knife, giving it to the little mermaid, and tells her, you must take this and kill the prince in which you love. When his blood falls upon your legs and upon your feet, then and only then will your feet turn back to a tail so that you may join us back in the sea. And of course, the little mermaid, still madly in love with the prince, and just cannot do such a dastardly deed even if it means never returning to the sea. So in that classic fairy tale event, she ends her suffering by jumping off a high cliff and drowns in the ocean, where immediately her body turns to sea foam. And that, kids, is the real story of Ariel the Little Mermaid. Yeah, it's kind of weird that Disney takes these, these stories 
that are pretty dark. Pretty actually. dark, yeah. And honestly, let's. I mean, even when Disney takes a story that's like Bambi, where his mom gets shot and stuff like that. Oh my gosh! Some of the stuff is still pretty dark, anyway. Yeah. Uh, was it Princess and the Frog? I believe in the original version, the princess throws the frog against the wall to kill it. <laughs> and it's it's not set in New Orleans. I know that. Yeah. So, uh, you have any other examples for us there? Well, it's funny that you should mention kind of the, the dark because um, the next one is Aurora, Sleeping Beauty, and Precursor. I don't think most people know she has a name. Uh, I it's didn't. Aurora. I, I'll be straight Aurora. up honest. I did not realize or I'd forgotten her name was Aurora. It's just... Sleeping Beauty, right? Yeah. But pre precursor warning, this one, I had to go down a couple holes to just, <laughs> is this real? You know, most everyone's familiar with the Disney classic, uh, What Little Girl, you know, seriously didn't dream of being awoken by a kiss from a, a you know, a handsome prince. Hey, that's, uh, that's not okay. You, know, <laughs> you got to have permission now. Although I'm, I'm certain if they knew the real story, maybe they would not want no part with that mystic, uh, magical, dreamy kiss. In the original tale, the princess is pricked by a splinter from a wooden spindle and a curse to die at the age of only 15. Now, of course, this is a result of the curse by the witches or, or the witch Maleficent, uh, who cast an evil spell upon the child. Now, this pretty much all seems up to up to the path of the Disney version, you know, so far, so so good. Well, as we all know, the prince finds Sleeping Beauty, a.k.a. Aurora, for those of you who didn't know, uh, she has slipped into this deep slumber due to the curse. And it's here the magical kiss from the prince is given to Sleeping Beauty. And in the Disney version, the power of true love awakens the young girl. It's a cheesy, sappy scene that has made an undeniable scene in the pop culture, I think, forever. Well, but, you know, now that you say it, she's supposed to die at the age of 15, so. There was some allure that maybe her parents or someone had given her a potion to try to put her to sleep so she didn't age to stop her death kind okay. of kind well. of thing. It was a little sketchy. <laughs> But as you see, it was not just a kiss the prince gave Aurora, Sleeping Beauty. It gets a bit more sinister and, well, downright criminal. The prince actually does not stop with a kiss. No, Whoa. no. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, th this part is just, it's disturbing. Yeah. The prince actually, after the first kiss, falls madly in love with Aurora, a.k.a. Sleeping Beauty, as we've talked about especially upon her unconscious and unwilling body. Oh, oh man. So from there, he goes into having sexual intercourse with the seemingly lifeless young girl's body. After several days of this oh. and sitting by her bedside, he believed, yep, she's dead. <laughs> Does that make it that? <laughs> I mean, that makes it worse, right? Wow. 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 <laughs> So he, he, it says he comes to his senses uh, and he figures out what he's done and that obviously he must never speak of the event. Well, no, and he you, flees the castle you, in the night. Yeah, you don't tell anybody about that. You know, leaving the in his mind uh, the dead corpse that he's had sexual intercourse with for two to three days there yeah, on, no, on the table. Ugh. However, unbeknownst to him, she has become pregnant with twins. And in nine months, she gives birth to the twins, one boy and one girl. Now, at this time, the little boy infant, of course, crying, hungry, crawls up her side, seeking her breast to suckle upon. And 
made his way first to find her finger that had been pricked by this splinter, which was Maleficent's doing, and he removes the splinter from his mother's finger by sucking on that and therefore awakening her and removing the the curse, the spell that had fallen upon young Aurora. Creepy. Thank you, Walt Disney, for cleaning that up just a little bit. You know, I have a have a complete collection of Grimm's fairy tales. Now, of course, Grimm, you know, you, I mean, they are kind of grim, but it's not even, you know, this is the name of the people who supposedly collected them, translated them, whatever. Right, right. Not meaning but they grim, are gruesome, grim, kind of, yeah. But, and I'll, and I'll admit much, you know, you know, shamefacedly that I have not read very many of them. But still, you know, you have these horrific examples. I knew, I knew about the, the Little Mermaid. I didn't know about Sleeping Beauty. Well, we've talked about on our other podcasts. I mean, that was another time, obviously, but Victorian age and and precursor to Victorian age. It it seemed like parents would read these scare tactic stories as bedtime stories to their children, probably to kind of keep them in check. There was a lot of dangers. There's a lot of dangers in the world today, but there's a lot of different kinds Uh, of dangers in the world back then. Like, I think I've talked about it. What is it? uh, The the one Christmas song where it talks about telling scary ghost stories. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Something apparently that you just did for fun, even at happy times, I guess. It's like, I just can't imagine these horrific tales. Sitting down on the bed of your young child, you know, probably four to six years old, and telling them these type of bedtime stories. Yeah, like the original Red Riding Hood where they have to cut the grandmother out of the wolf's belly with yes, an axe and all and that. It like and pours out onto the floor. Yeah, and, I mean, they're not, uh, yeah. they're not super family friendly. Well, I've got one more. So thirdly, I thought uh, I would, uh, I, I hand-selected these, but uh, the third one is Belle, obviously, from Beauty and the Beast, a, a more modern, you know, twist. One of the most popular Disney stories of today, I think it's been remade several times, even recently into a real-life feature film, is Beauty and the Beast. It's most likely the story itself that captivates us all, the you know, the flawed characters, however, the acceptance of one another with those flaws, true love that does not judge by outward appearances. Now, that being said, like the other fairy tales, it does in fact have a much more sinister original story. In that original story, Belle has two older sisters. And one day her father, who was a merchant, is planning a business trip, traveling to sell his wares outside of the normal kingdom. So it sounds like he's going to be traveling for quite some distance. Sitting around the breakfast table that morning, he wanted to do something nice for his three girls. Now, I will say there's no mention of a mother here, so I'm assuming the mother had passed away. So it's just the girls and and the dad. It's a Disney movie. They have to have dead parents. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a checklist. we got (laughs) to check that box. So he wanted to do something nice for the three girls, and he told each of them, you know, if you could request anything, And, you know, I I will do my best to acquire whatever those gifts might be on my journey and bring them back to you. Well, the two older sisters, they were very quickly to speak up and said they would love a new necklace with matching earrings with gemstones. You know, hey, if we're going to have a gift, let's be greedy about it. You know, let's let's have something that's worth a lot of money. Belle, however, a bit more down to earth, a bit more simple and realizing they were not rich, requested nothing from her father, but only a promise that he would return home safely. Oh, that's so sweet. The father simply smiled at his favorite daughter, but said, Alas, girl, tell me something in which I can acquire for you. You of all my daughters deserve something special. So Belle reluctantly said, Well, father, then bring me 
a rare sight indeed. Three roses on a single stem. And that way I may have something that is true beauty. You know, in her mind, she's thinking, well, that might be a little hard to find. Kind of like a four-leaf clover maybe kind of thing. But, you know, not, not having to spend a lot of money. Non is way back from his long travels. He's had a very successful business trip. Sold off quite a lot of wares. He earned some money. He was able to acquire the necklaces and earrings for both the other, the two older daughters but so far up to this point had been unable to find three roses on a single stem. As he started back home, this kind of worried him, and he, he rubbed his brow because, as I stated, Belle was his uh, favorite, if you will, of, of the daughters. And he just so happened to come across a beautiful rose garden of massive estate that was there alongside of the road. Hundreds and hundreds of beautiful roses were there in the gardens, just ripe for the picking. So he pulls his horse and his wagon over, quickly jumps the fence, spotting exactly what his beloved Belle had requested. Three beautiful roses, all on a single stem, and he picked them quickly in haste to return back home for his journey. Not on his way back to the carriage, however, he was confronted by a huge, hairy beast. And I will say some of the early sketches looked like Sasquatch wearing a tuxedo. <laughs> so we have maybe one of the first appearances of Bigfoot. Well, he, he wasn't always the... The wildebeest horned thing. <laughs> I always thought he'd be a fantastic villain for a D&D game whenever oh. I first saw it. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So he was confronted by this huge hairy beast who had stated the man was trespassing and that those gardens as well as the roses that it held was all part of his vast estate. Now the father pleaded and dropped to his knees in the midst of the huge beast, asking forgiveness and stating he only picked them as a gift for his young daughter and that he meant no harm whatsoever. The beast, puzzled, kind of tilted his head and says, Hmm, I'll let you be on your way, but on one condition. You will bring your daughter Belle back to me, returned here to this castle, and she will become the wife of my estate in exchange for the father's life. Now, when Belle first arrived, she was cold and distant. They, the beast and Belle, did not talk much at all. However, over many weeks and months, they did finally begin to talk a little bit more. Isn't that called Stockholm Syndrome? I think that's the word, yes. However awkward in his actions, the beast never lashed out or raised a hand against Belle and did seem sincerely to care for her, just seeking someone to love him. But Belle, as she continued to stay there for weeks and months, did notice there in the confines of the castle that she couldn't help but overhear some of the more dastardly deeds and the violent nature that the beast had with his followers. However, eventually, as in, in any good Disney tale, Belle fell in love with the beast, and the beast yet in turn fell in love with Belle. They did not, however, live happily ever after, at least not yet. On one fateful day, Belle found the beast dead in the courtyard near those same rose gardens. She ran across the estate and cradled his head in her lap and began to cry. His lifeless body was more than she could take. She collapses. However, the tears that fell freely from her face had landed on his. And not only did it give him life, but brought back the handsome prince. And they found true happiness once again. Oh, isn't that sweet? Yet another Disney fairy tale. But we're not done. To the point that Belle was so relieved 
already falling in love with the beast, but now being married to a handsome prince of a very wealthy estate, invited her father and her two older sisters to move in, because obviously the castle and the estate had more than enough room. Now, upon the two sisters arriving and seeing now Belle's handsome husband, a true member of royalty respected, they became enraged with jealousy. So jealous, in fact, that they sneak up on their young sister Belle, and together they hold her head beneath the water in a tub, drowning her and killing her. We didn't see that part in the Disney film when we went and saw that. That's where that one kind of ends. Well, first, she didn't have any sisters in the Disney film. But, you know, who hasn't wanted to drown their siblings at some point? I'm, I'm not, lucky. I didn't have any siblings, well, I guess. Okay. I'm lucky. I'm maybe, an only I child, know. I can say. I wanted to drown mine a time or two. <laughs> now, you had mentioned Walt Disney's frozen head. It does come up. Um, I think anybody who's who's heard any kind of urban legend, that's sort of the most common, is that Disney's frozen, you know, had his head frozen cryogenically when he passed, hoping that, I don't know, someday they could attach it to a giant robot body and he could take over the world or something. Well, actually, I, I had read that they thought technology would eventually catch up and they would mount his head on a robot there in one of his parks that he would come out and greet the followers. How, oh my gosh, that would just be like creepy as I don't know what. I know you've seen Futurama with the little heads in jars. Uh-huh. So that's all I can think of when you, you know, my kids have been watching that a lot lately. <laughs> uh, you know, but yeah, like you have that, that urban legend of Disney's frozen head and all that. And inevitably, when you see things online, I, I went down a couple of Reddit uh, threads. And, and there was somewhere he's like, oh, you know, ex-cast members of Disney. And one of the guys was like, well, I had to change the fluid in Walt's head tank or whatever. Well, you know, it's crazy, but that urban legend's existed forever. Well, one of the other twists is that uh, the executives that he left behind stated that Walt wasn't always a kind person to work for. So that they manipulated this story and took his head as a trophy, like as a you know African great game hunter might uh, have trophies hung above the fireplace mantle, uh, and that way they could you know show hey we got the last laugh. Another kind of more sinister one was th- they wanted to keep the head around because there was a cult and they would literally worship the Walt Disney's uh, severed head as part of the cult rituals for new executives to come into Walt Disney. There's a, a role-playing game. I found it on Amazon. I've, I've thought about ordering it a time or two, but it's called, like, The Happiest Apocalypse on Earth or something like that. <laughs> and it takes place in a mouse-themed amusement park when it is Judgment Day, and you are stuck in that location, and you have to deal with the fact that there is a cult dedicated to this mouse god and things like that. Several. I've uh, found that to be fascinating. Several <laughs> things thrown there, yes, yes. Have you ever heard the urban legend? That if a man, like an actual physical man, were to get pregnant, then like Walt Disney had set up a deal where they would get like lifetime passes to Disney. No, you, you never. I've heard never heard this one. That is a weird story, and one that I didn't stumble upon in my my research, but I'd heard the story a couple times in different places over the years, going all the way back to when I was a kid, I think. But it was something about you know the magic and the dream and blah blah blah. <laughs> so. <laughs> So apparently Disney had this deal set up when he died that if any man, an actual, like I said, born physically a man, were to get pregnant, they would get like lifetime passes to Disney World or something. Wow. That never made much sense to me. That's strange. Peculiar. I don't think I could see Florida going along with that. But that's just. So we talked about movies a little bit. 
I wanted to talk about some stuff from some some Disney rides. All right. Now I've been on a lot of Disney rides. I mean, like I said, I've been to Disney World three times. You know, you, that's what you go for. You go for the rides for the entertainment. All part of the experience. One thing I, I discovered was, you know, when you go to the rides at an amusement park, they have timers on them usually. They'll have the little signs that say, you know, from this point forward, it'll be 30 minutes. From this point forward, it'll be 60 minutes. And on in Disney World, they usually have a sign at the beginning that says how long it'll take mm-hmm. once you start in the line. Wait expected one hour or whatever. But uh, at Disney, those timers are not ever accurate for real time. When it says about an hour left, it's it's usually less than that to give you the perception that the line is actually moving faster than it is. And when you get in the line at the beginning, when it's got the sign that says an hour and 20 minute wait or whatever, that is usually exaggerated to make a ride seem more in demand than it actually is. Good business plan. So if you're like, oh, you see, you know, hey, that number's getting pretty high. I need to jump in line before it gets, you know. It's kind of like when you're driving by a restaurant and the parking lot's empty. Uh, That's a bad place to to eat. But if it's really busy, then, oh, yeah, we want there. One of my favorite rides is the the Haunted Mansion. Oh, yes. I, uh, of course, you know, (laughs) when we do a podcast like this, uh, when we went to Disney World, we had made my family ride that one twice. (laughs) Uh, My daughter did not care for that. No, you say you're done. Get back in line. But you know, it's a uh, lots of people try to sneak s- the the ashes of family members onto the haunted mansion. Ride. I was surprised the stories I found on the internet of this. Well, according to cast members, ex cast members, this happens at least once a month, if not, you know, more often sometimes. Now, are you telling me this is where you want your ashes spread, Bill? Well, no, because it's illegal, and I don't want somebody <laughs> to go to jail on my behalf. <laughs> But uh, if it wasn't illegal. But, yeah. Well, no, if it wasn't illegal. Eh, okay. But apparently, when it happens, they call for a HEPA cleanup, and everybody knows what that means. because Well, HEPA filter on a vacuum. Yeah. yeah. Human human ashes are very, very Takes fine. Takes dust buster to a whole new so, level. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, apparently, they, ha- they have a HEPA cleanup code that they call, and people come in. So, if you're thinking about dump- dumping family members' ashes on the Haunted Mansion, they're gonna just going to end up in a dust buster, like dust you buster, said. Dust buster, yeah. So, maybe you want your... You know, final remains handled with a little so, more respect. So now you're saying that there's a system in place. So Disney is kind of admitting to that's a that's a real thing. Yeah, no, they they absolutely admit to it. Because I found some things uh, going back to like early '80s where part of this had really kind of hit a, a craze. There was a particular mother I think that had actually legally requested permission to dump her son's ashes, and of course Disney turned it down. And it was kind of in that time frame and and. Disney kind of came back with a rebuttal and said, just to set the record straight, none of this has ever happened. We don't know of any time that this has occurred. Well, it, it's happened enough that I assume they have to own up to it so now. now. there's a there's a, a, a gameplay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Again, yes. Another favorite. Uh, one of the, the urban legends I've heard, which isn't really an urban legend, is actually confirmed, is there at Disneyland in California, if you go at the right time, well, okay, prior to recent events, you might actually see Johnny Depp as Captain Jack on the ride. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, recent events, they've kind of separated ways with Johnny Depp. You rumor think is he was one of the robotic features, yeah. and all of a sudden, he just kind of start talking and shaking hands. Of course, rumor is they're trying to give Johnny a whole lot of money to come back to be Captain Jack now, because they realize that, you know. Yeah, oopsie. Yeah, maybe they made a mistake. But I guess in the beginning, in order to increase the realism of the ride, real skeletons were used for some of the bone decorations. Yes. Uh, now, they have since been replaced, but some claim that at least one set of skull and crossbones does remain located in the treasure room above the bed. And there was actual documentation that I saw uh, photographic you know, on, on online of where the 
when they opened the ride, they actually went to UCA, UCLA Medical School and yep. uh, borrowed real bones. So, I mean, that, that seemed pretty factual, I mean, absolutely to me. Uh, they couldn't find the props that they thought looked realistic enough for the yep. ride. Uh, the Matterhorn in Disneyland, uh, it has a very dark history and is apparently the worst record for fatalities and serious injuries in the all history of Disneyland. You wouldn't think That's it'd be all that sticker. bad. But, uh, now, the first incident occurred in 1964 when a 15-year-old boy stood up in the ride and was thrown from it and, and died from his injuries. Uh, the ride once did catch on fire, injuring a young family. The whole whole family ended up in the hospital from the injury, from injuries. Now, which ride is this? The Matterhorn at the Disneyland. The Matterhorn. Another woman was killed when she was catapulted out of her seat and hit a, a uh, another part of the ride on a different track. Mm. So I'm not sure how the Matterhorn. I think it's a, a roller coaster type. I'm trying to thing. remember. I know the name of it, but I honestly I, I can't. remember. I think in a lot ride. of places the Matterhorn is like they use the 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 pirate ship that swings back and forth. But I think the Matterhorn itself in Disney is like a little roller coaster. Okay. So, yeah, a woman was once catapulted out of her seat and thrown onto the tracks of a different roller coaster and was killed. Oof. There's another one called the Sailing Ship Columbia, which I think must be specific to Disneyland Disneyland, because I've never seen it. But on December 24th, 1998, a heavy metal cleat tore loose and hit two guests and an employee. Now, Mr. Dawson, who was one of the guests, was fatally wounded, 33 years old at the time. His wife was hospitalized. And Disney did catch some flack because workers immediately cleaned up the site of the death before police arrived, got the ride back oh. in working order. So Disney, you know, the, the police showed up. Allegedly, Disney has a policy that you don't let outsiders into the park, you know, because uh, Disney maintains itself. It's got its own security, yes. its own medical staff, it's and almost all that. its own city. Yeah, especially down at Disney World. Disney World is essentially its own country, practically. Zip code. They actually have the rights. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you've heard this. Disney World actually has the legal right to, to build and activate its own nuclear reactor if it chooses to do so under the laws that it was built under. <laughs> and we'll put Mickey Mouse up there in charge of it. Yeah. But uh, Disney claimed they cleaned it up out of fear of frightening their guests, which I would think if the ride's coming apart and killing people, a little bit of fear is healthy. And hey, in 10 minutes we can get the mess cleaned <laughs> up and open it back up, and your waiting is only an hour. So they, they did settle out of court with the Dawson family after the California Division of Occupational Safety found that the company was at fault. Uh, due to not properly training its employees. Wow. Uh, it's a small world. October 2010 in Paris, a 53-year-old ride cleaner is working on a boat when the ride is accidentally turned on for no reason. I've got another similar story and to that he's, one. He's dragged under the boat where he suffers serious injuries and eventually dies in the hospital later. Wow. And you said you had one similar to that. Yeah, the uh, the Skyway. That's the transpor uh, transportation kind of trolley on an overhead cable. I read that people routinely try to commit suicide. Yeah. Uh, I guess this was around until about 1990, and finally it was removed uh, from both Florida and California to what you were alluding to as people trying to commit suicide and a, a lot of faulty, weird stuff. Uh, one particular, uh, there was a lot of rumors of several deaths, however— there was the rumors that Disney covered them up, paid the families off, kept it out of the public eye. So there was kind of that alluding to it. But on one such instance, uh, there was a teenager who had opened the door and plummeted to his death some 30 feet to just concrete below. I mean, uh, imagine you're walking below this thing. And yeah, I was going to say the horror wow. of walking through Disneyland and then a body just hits just the ground. Flop. Another more documented, uh, very factual, very well laid out, went to went to court. 
uh, was in February of 1999. A janitor who was cleaning the cable cars during this time, uh, from what I could kind of see with sketches and stuff, he was on the outside. There was like a very narrow track, uh, and he had like the squeegee and, you know, cleaning the bug guts and all this kind of stuff off, I guess, from part of it. And unbeknownst, uh, there was another employee that came up and seen that the ride had been turned off. And obviously, this must have been before lockout, tag out, and all this type of procedures that Bill and I are familiar with. Oh, yeah just turned it on well the guy is screaming and hollering you know shut it off shut it off and the cars start coming down on the on the on the chain or on the overhead uh, cable and he runs out of this i'm imagining like a six inch ledge that he's very balanced on and a car hits him and he falls like 60 feet to his death oh uh you know of course then within moments they said they got the ride shut off and i guess that was more than they could cover up uh the family and disney went to court and they settled and that was a quite well-known fact now uh, disney went on file stating that they decided to shut both of the skyways down due to cost of maintenance and the fact that they felt their money could be spent better in other ways well, if you got to send payouts to the family on a regular basis that's exactly where i'm going it's like okay we've had like you know six deaths this year uh you know they're they're wanting a half a million a piece so yeah we can spend our money somewhere else yeah and then you had mentioned haunted mansion did you did you realize there was truly a death in the haunted mansion when they first opened it i saw that there was allegedly some guy who somebody who died of a heart attack i don't know if it was a guy or not but yes now, having rode Haunted Mansion multiple times, if if you found it that scary, your normal life must be very insane. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> so I dove into the rabbit hole a little bit more. And yeah, it's it's definitely, and I use this term and I find myself kind of struggling with it, Disney-fied. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not that scary. It's, you know, it's kind of a... A Ghostbusters quirky circus kind of well, it's deal. It's very, very cartoony. And, and I mean, was it the worst of times? What's the last, like, the, the, with the lady telling me, you know, like the ghost might come home with you in your cart and the cart turns to the wall and it looks like a mirror, but it's a, there's like a projection deal and it yes. looks like there's a ghost with you. Yeah. And- yeah. I mean, well, months before the official grand opening of the Haunted Mansion, uh, Disney had a special preview for a select group of members and special guests. Most very much enjoyed the attraction for what it was, but apparently an early version of the ride was much more scary. <laughs> uh, a man actually did die of a heart attack, literally being scared to death. He was removed uh, by the coroners, and Disney demanded uh, with the engineers for the ride that they tame the ride down a bit before its official opening two months later. So that that inquisitive side of me, especially with us doing this type of podcast, would be like, I would love to see some sketches, photographs of what that original ride was if it was that scary. Okay, now I'm someone who has the Grim Grinning Ghost song on his playlist. <laughs> so obviously I, I like the ride and I, I like the, the imagery. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, what is it that scared this guy so bad yeah. in the Haunted Mansion? Or, or was it just the guy had heart issues and it just, you know, happened to be in the ride at the time? I, I can't imagine anything <laughs> in that ride being that scary. I'm sorry. So another death that, that was kind of in the early days, the death of Debbie Stone. Oh, yes. Uh, she was a 19-year-old hostess on the ride America Sings at Disneyland, California. Which, if you're familiar with the Carousel of Progress, I think it's the same kind of uh, 
rotating theater type. Uh, but it was her job to, to bid farewell to, to the leaving audience. So I'm guessing she was one of the hostesses at the, the entrance and the exits, obviously. But nine days after being killed, apparently, her body was found. Uh, where she was mysteriously crushed between a rotating wall and a stationary wall. So he said nine days. So I'm assuming there was other people that came in and watched yeah, the show assuming. during this period of nine days while her body was there. Well, some audience members admitted to hearing screams from backstage, but they thought it was part of the performance. Now, her death has never properly been, you know, quote unquote, solved. It is unknown if she tried to cross while the stage was in motion, whether she was distracted and lost her balance, or maybe even something worse. Now, again, with our podcast and what we do here, Disney employees on the Carousel Progress claim that her spirit can still be seen there. I've heard these stories. And that if she, if you're, if you're where she died, she will actually whisper to be careful if you're at the site of her accident. So still doing her job, looking out for folks in the 1980s. I don't know if you remember this bill, but I actually, uh, I would have been i think about 12 years old during this time frame and i do remember seeing this on tv there was a death on the space mountain ride uh one of the best rides probably of all time in the world of disney theme parks thousands wait for over an hour in line to experience this attraction it's a marvel to to be positioned there in your seated position as you explore the ride however standing up is a little well, bit more risque. It's all in the dark, so you can't even see where you're going. I wouldn't think you'd want to take that chance. You would not think. And then again, so. you'd think the ride would be engineered so you couldn't. You would also think. Before the 2000s, uh, you know, safety belts and, and the, the poles that would drop down over your shoulders and lock in position, if they existed, uh, there was no locking mechanism on them. You know, it was just like, yeah, pull that thing down over your shoulders and, you know, hang on tight. Or, you know, maybe they didn't exist at all. Uh, but in the late 1980s, simply, he just, there was a gentleman riding it. He just simply flipped up this safety bar that was over his shoulders and for whatever reason decided to stand up. Now, you know, riding roller coasters and stuff, you know, it's not that all uncommon. You throw your arms up in the air and, you know, you kind of feel like I'm not hanging on to anything. Maybe that was what he was going for. Throw your arms in the air like you just don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just beat <laughs> down, put some tracks down to that. Or maybe, as we have talked about, this gentleman was trying to commit suicide. We really don't know. But uh, however, in doing so, by standing up, uh, he wanted to immerse himself into the ride, and um, he, he did. He got up close and personal with part of it, huh? Yes. He came in direct contact with an overhead rail. And I am told with the way that system is, that uh, ride, that there may only be like two-foot clearance in a lot of those places. That's why you're supposed to stay seated in your ride. It according to some newspaper articles, beheaded him entirely. Now, with doing the research, and I actually found an interview with a person who was two cars behind on that fateful day. They describe it a little differently. They said that it flipped his head backwards so that he was facing forwards, but his head flipped backwards and was staring at the we're going to have to put a tag on behind. this episode. That's that, gross. Thank goodness it was dark most of the time. Uh, you know, so in that fact, it wasn't totally severed. However, there was no way for the passengers to stop the ride or alert anyone that anything had happened. So the ride continued regardless with a decapitated person or a head staring at you from above. 
wow. I mean, just wow. There was points, uh, without getting too gruesome, that there were ligaments and and obviously exposed spine. And yeah, it it lasted many minutes before it came into the area of where you would get out of the car, not to mention the blood and just the, the, the overall gore. People were screaming. They were puking, uh, you know, trying to do cleanup. The, the people on the other end that was trying to help people out of the cars, they didn't know what was going on. I mean, this horrible, horrible. This is like stuff of horror films. Now, there was rumors of payoffs and silent contracts to keep a lot of this stuff, I guess, as controlled as it possibly could. This particular gentleman that I saw the interview uh, with stated that uh, there were some that refused money and kind of implied that he was one, but not necessarily to keep quiet. He just, it was a horrific experience for him. He didn't want to relive it in any way. And it was, I think, 15, 20 years later, finally, when somebody tracked him down and he said, I'm going to tell you what really happened kind of deal. Wow. I've never been on Space Mountain. I got to be honest. I'm not a roller coaster guy. Though. Don't That's stand me. up. So, you know, Disney's obviously, it, they run multiple amusement parks around the world. You can't control what people are going to do. So no. somebody's going to stand up on a ride. So obviously there are some pretty bad things that happen that are out of Disney's control. Absolutely. But I found some things talking about like company policies and just the way the, the work environment is at Disney. Uh, again, very strict company. They have some very, very strange rules, very strange ways of conducting themselves. But, but first I'm going to talk about sort of the employee hierarchy. The employees kind of sort themselves out in a certain way when you work at Disney and the company does nothing to, to manipulate. Like, for example, you know, we've, we've worked at Emerson. If we see a problem within our team, mm-hmm. we're supposed to address that and make sure everybody's part of the same team. Yes, make sure everybody Disney, understands the same message. Disney's and- not, not too worried about that. At Disney, employees are essentially sorted by looks, kind of officially and unofficially. That doesn't sound like a, a, a good system. So human characters, you know, the ones that are, people that you can plainly you know they're that are in costume like aladdin or alice snow white jack sparrow gaston you know those those characters that are people in a costume uh they're known as faces and they are the top of the food chain that's like the cosplay these are these are yeah these these guys are the top of the food chain these are the most you know quote-unquote respected of the disney employees And, and disney calls all of its employees cast members by the way i've used that term a little bit so far but disney everyone that that works for disney is a cast member and everyone that visits a disney park is a guest so oh but these these faces are sort of the top of the food chain and and even amongst the faces there's a hierarchy more modern characters like elsa and anna and whatnot rank higher than older characters like snow white or mary poppins so they sort themselves out according to like how recent their movie is because obviously the little kids want to see elsa and anna more than they want to see snow white and mary poppins move aside senior citizens so mascot characters Mickey, Goofy, and Donald are the characters that are dressed up in the full body costumes. You can't see who's inside. Right. You have no idea who's inside. They are known as furries, and they are the next tier down below faces. Now, they have, they do get paid significantly higher than other employees, though. Is so, that because of the uh, sweatsuits that they're imagine, wearing? Yeah. I, I would think heat stroke would be like a, a oh, yeah. check mark. There, there's, yeah, like they have to. Weekly, if not daily. <laughs> they have to be in the costumes. And, and I want to, we'll talk a little bit more about the costumes later on. So now outdoor vendors are referred to as ODV, literally outdoor vendor. Okay. Uh, they often refer to themselves as slaves. 
They are seen as the bottom of the food chain. When they go to break areas, the vendors do not associate, are not allowed to associate with costume characters in any way. Wow. So if you're... You're, you know, if you're taking people's money, you are bottom of the food chain. So you could Disney. have like your son or something work there and, you know, be like, hey, yeah. son, shut up. Don't talk to me, mom. Yeah, pretty much. You're a slave. Now, face characters have very strict rules on appearance. They're required to follow very, very strict makeup and appearance rules. Apparently, when you take one of those roles, you are given a sheet of paper with the outline of a human body on it. And you have to mark where every tattoo or birthmark or anything you have is so that you match the appearance of this character and there's no way that you won't look like this character. Funny that you should mention that. I actually saw something and it was on one of the Disney princesses. Uh, I want to say like Ariel maybe came to work with a hickey. Oh, God. On the side of her I neck. they fired her on the spot. I don't think they fired her, but, uh, I mean, it was like the disposition. I mean, uh, it was oh, yeah, no. witch hunt. They're, they're uh, not you gonna, can't do this. You can't. I can cover it up with makeup. No, you will not be doing this job sent home without pay. I mean, you know, kind of thing. No, you absolutely, you cannot break the the magic is what they call it. You have to be in character. You have to look like that character. And you have to be, like, if you're a Disney princess, you have to be pure, right? So right. Disney princesses yeah. aren't going out Mommy, why does Ariel have a hickey on the side of her yeah. neck? Uh, face characters have been body shamed for gaining or losing weight. I could definitely they said the, see that. The refrigerator in the break area is just nothing but, like, protein shakes and, and yogurt. And then a lot of them have uh, gym memberships because if you gain a pound or two and you can't fit in a costume, you're out. Like, you have wow. to. Wow. They have height restrictions for each character. You have to be within an inch or two of this. Essentially, the way Disney portrays it is, you know, if it's if you see Gaston at Disney World, you see Gaston at Disneyland, you see Gaston in Disneyland Paris, that's the same guy every time. That's the way they want you to see it. So those characters have to look identical. They have to practice the signature of whatever character they are so that no matter where in the world you get a signature, it's the same. I, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb, and I will say I, I understand disney's thinking here but wow how do you well obviously they found a way to mandate it but i mean well yeah what what is the best way to i yeah yeah that's tough now i've I've got we go to a lot of comic cons yeah and of course cosplay is a huge part and i for one i i like the fact i I love some of the mashup costumes you know i never have cosplayed let me state that for the record but i admire the artwork behind it not not even this is like hello kitty or something like that Uh, well there was the one time but (laughs) we're not going to talk about that not here anyhow um but you know how do i put this you see some people that don't fit the the stereotypical body shape of them i still think that is very cool those people it takes a lot of courage to go out and do that and they still bring smiles to people's faces they love what they're doing yeah you know i i understand that because you hear a lot of cruel things that that are said you know and disney i mean let's face it that's top-notch cosplay well even even the Disney actors, you know the the face characters, they co- they they are constantly being harassed by guests, especially the princess characters for obvious reasons. But I've seen video of like was it was Gaston, the guy who was playing Gaston. He, I guess he's the reason he keeps coming to mind. Uh, and a woman was like trying to like get a feel of his pecs, and he was finally just like, oh yeah, well, uh, you know I'm I'm so, uh, you know I I can't have this uh, if you're not going to treat me with respect, you know creepers but he still has to be in character he cannot break character to deal with these well and 
I mean, you know, let's face it. There's some creepy, weird people out there that, that go into yeah. Disney World and Disneyland. You pay your price, you go in. But, uh, there's probably Disney princesses that's trying to get to the restroom, and I can imagine yeah. guys, whatever, trying to follow them. And yeah, yeah. But but like I said, company rules prevent them from acting out against guests in any way, shape, or form. They have to tolerate this. Uh, even when a guest is conducting themselves inappropriately, they still have to stay in character and, and not break the magic, as Disney says. Wow. I couldn't imagine being groped by some, especially one of these princesses. Oh, yeah. And, and now I guess they do typically have like security or handlers or however you want to phrase it that are supposed to help. But even those people are not supposed to break Disney magic. So you're never supposed to portray anything in Disney as being bad. And yeah, I imagine there's. A lot of creepers out there that probably try to get away with whatever they can because they know they, they can know get away that with rule. It. Yeah. Now talking about costumes, I found this kind of be, ugh. but uh, employees are forced to share costumes. Obviously, if you I'm play glad the same you're character on this, yeah. Uh, now costume characters like Mickey and all that, of course, obviously those costumes are going to be shared. But I, apparently, even like when you play a princess or, or whatever a face character, you still have to share your outfit. Uh, that used to include underwear, jock straps, and tights. Ooh. And you weren't allowed to take anything home because it was Disney property, so you couldn't make sure that it was washed before you had to wear it. Ooh. You were relying on Disney staff to wash clothing between uses. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a manager of people in a work environment, you can't count on people to do their job every day. I'll tell you what, I hated to even use people's used gloves like oh, yeah. around the welders yeah. and stuff. I mean, you're required You go back there, you're trying to help out, and you're like, oh, these are used gloves, but, they're sweaty, I don't want them. Yeah. But obviously, many cast members complained of skin diseases. Oh, I can only imagine. Spread. Uh, ringworm, pteriasis rosier, scabies, and lice. Oh. Ugh. Now, that rule has been changed, but only because workers from five different unions representing 25,000 Disney employees uh, forced the company to change the rule. Well, and I'm sorry. I mean, those costumes, I mean, probably thousands of dollars for a lot of those. Yeah. You're out there in a sweatsuit. Yeah. Yeah, you can go through the motions of sanitizing it, but truly... How often is it deep sanitized? I mean, you know. So along with the costumes, cast members can be terminated if their clothing doesn't match the land they are in. Uh, for example, say you're a frontier land employee and you accidentally step into Tomorrowland. Oh, or you, you come out of a boundaries. Yeah, you could oh. be terminated for that. You lose your job. Mascot characters cannot have their costume removed in front of guests under any circumstances. I saw all. on Facebook, I told you at the start, there was like yeah. Pluto and Mickey, and they took their face mask off. They were slugging it out. Well, and those guys <laughs> probably lost their jobs, too. I'm sure they did. Uh, but but even if you're in need of medical attention, I saw somewhere that there's a sign where, where the character will cover one eye and put the other hand in the air to indicate that they need help. Oh, my gosh. But they can't. They can't. You know, I'm having a heat stroke people, here. People Let me do sign language. Inside the oh, mask and stuff. Oh, yuck, yuck, yuck. One, one occasion, an actor playing Goofy on a Disney cruise was told, your costume cannot be removed, even if you are drowning, until you are out of sight of guests. So if he <laughs> fell into the pool and was drowning, they would have to fish him out of the pool and take him behind the scenes. And don't you take that mask off. Yeah, before they could take the mask off. They told him they would not even administer CPR until he was out of view of guests. Wow. So you could probably die in one of these costumes. Wow. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, you imagine that costume filling up full of water yeah. and the weight alone? Well, what is it? I think they said some for some of those costumes, without any additional, just the costume itself is sometimes in excess of 45 pounds. Oh, yeah. So you're I carrying totally that around, that. supported on your shoulders or your back or whatever. People suffered injuries just wearing the costume. Now. All to bring you the magic. Yeah. 
Now, allegedly, a team member cannot use these three words. I don't know. If a team member is asked a question, no matter how dumb or ridiculous or stupid it may be, <laughs> they cannot answer, I don't know. They have to have an answer for the question, even if they make it up on the spot. How are babies made? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is a Disney jail. Uh, this has been confirmed by ex-castmates, so. It's large. <laughs> but uh, they say there is a holding place on Disney property, and if you cross the line in Disney, you could potentially end up in Disney jail. I did read one particular anecdote by a visitor who said that uh, a guy had snuck away for a cigarette. He was leaning against like the castle or something in a non-smoking area, Ooh. and a and a hidden door opened in the wall. <laughs> a guy in a Disney puddle looked at him, told him to drop the cigarette, and then motioned for him to follow him. Oh my god! And then like thirty seconds later, a janitor popped through the door, swept up the cigarette, stepped back, door closed, as if none of it had ever happened. I can imagine like this Hell's Angels bike rider, and he's like, "Yeah, this one time in Tijuana, he's sitting at the bar, and Mickey Mouse is sitting across from him. He's like, I work at Disney. Shut up." <laughs> uh, Disney parks do not track admittance to their parks with easily retrievable records. Uh, you think they'd want to know how many people are there? It's Disney World. It's Disneyland, right? Of course, they want to brag about that, but. Disney can also not be fine for being over capacity if they can't tell you how many people are there. I was just thinking about if we lose a few every now and then. It'd be, that probably be happens okay. too. <laughs> and if someone dies on Disney property, they are removed from the property before being declared dead. Allegedly, that is so Disney can maintain that no one has died in their theme park. Well, that's convenient. Legally speaking, though, you can't be declared dead until you're in a hospital. So, uh, okay, you have to be removed from the property, taken to a hospital before okay. you can be declared dead. But I couldn't I, get the mask off. I couldn't see if he had a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure I, I've told you before. My dad worked at Silver Dollar City. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're talking about the same kind of environment. The behind the scenes, if you get to peek behind the curtain in a place like this, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we used to have breakfast with the cast members there at, at Silver Dollar City. So you see, you know, the jolly old blacksmith. And he's not, I remember Shad. He was. Uh, he's not so jolly and happy before he's had his coffee in the morning, you know. <laughs> or the guy who's like a street magician and he's practicing his skills, which was that was kind of neat because he was practicing them at the breakfast table. And so I got an impromptu magic show while I'm eating my my biscuits and gravy there in the morning. That was kind of neat. But when you see behind the scenes of a place like that, you know, I don't know how much magic there is in Silver Dollar City for someone, but. Even then, you know, the modern conveniences that are just on the other side of a wall, just the other side of a door. And then to imagine those people, like, I know a lot of them don't come to work in costume. They change when they get there. So I'm assuming shared costumes, maybe like with Disney, this would have been mid eighties, maybe, maybe early nineties at this point in time for me. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Silver Dollar City because I've been there so many times and I've seen the stuff. I don't really, it, it's not a thing to me, but it's just interesting that like, I know some of this stuff probably is true because well, I've it seen it really stripped down. It's really not. A lot different than, uh, let's just say you, Bill. You, you know, you uh, you serve in a manager's type role. You probably have some bad days. You yep. probably go to work maybe not feeling your best, but <laughs> you put the smiley face on and you know you go out there. We all do that, whether you're a bank teller or you work at Walmart or you know wherever. Some people don't put a mask on, but you know they don't even attempt <laughs> it. But you know what I mean. You there's always the less magical side of any job that uh, that you do, but you put your best foot forward and you try to move on. And Disney, I mean, obviously with the new acquisitions of Marvel and, you know, own it, Star Wars and, and all this is just keeps ranking it up there. The pressure levels are yeah. just so much higher. Yeah, I mean, Disney literally at this point, you know, you, you could probably tell me Disney is harvesting souls and I'd be like, well, 
Yeah, but the new Avengers movie is coming out. So. Yeah, and I'll be in line <laughs> to pay for it. You know, so yeah. I, I used to joke that at some at some point in time, Disney ought to just have a direct access to my checking account, just pull money out every week. And then I realized I you have the Disney pay for Disney Plus, so yeah. they literally are taking money from me every week. Yeah, yeah. Just got the IV hooked up there. Somewhat related and and sort of maybe off topic, just a hair. I I stumbled down a, a YouTube rabbit hole not that long ago. Fascinating little rabbit hole where people had taken video of malfunctions at Disney with, with a lot of the times with like the animatronics and whatnot. Mm. Oh dude, they are hilarious and sometimes <laughs> creepy, frightening. You don't realize how much of the stuff is actually projection. A lot of the eyes and faces are projected from behind. So like there was a cars ride with lightning McQueen where the eyes had gone out. So lightning McQueen's all talking and happy, but his the, the windshield is just a black void. <laughs> um, there's one where, like, the shaman in the Avatar ride just sort of starts to have, like, a seizure and then just dies, basically. I mean, <laughs> just collapses onto the platform. Uh, Jack Sparrow's, you know, with arms half hanging off because the joint came loose and they're just flopping around. Oh, my gosh. Look like a broken limb. You know, eyes and faces out of sync with the audio. I mean, if you think about it. Well, I mean, it's mechanics. It's going to break you, down. You, you've worked around robots and stuff. I work around robots. It doesn't take much for a robot to stop doing what it's supposed to do, and I'm assuming these are similar to the stuff we've worked around. And so. a lot of times it's domino theory. One yeah. little thing goes wrong, and then it hits something, and that breaks that, and that so, breaks this. And so I do recommend that. If, you, if you're if you on YouTube and you got a minute, just look for malfunctioning Disney animatronics. It's, it's <laughs> funny. Funny, creepy, interesting. Well, folks, we hope that we have enlightened you, brightened your Disney magic in some aspects. And, and we hope we're able to come back and keep doing podcasts and not get sued by Disney. Yep. We, uh, we so may put up a MyFundMe page to yeah, get us out of jail. If you do get to download this one, enjoy it, because who knows how long, you know, <laughs> our, our, our hundred listeners out there, hopefully we don't draw that much attention. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us uh, yet for kind of an uncanny and unrelated topics that we have on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks for listening. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, London, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, final records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. And also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.